Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Hello and welcome to Sacred Nine Podcast. A lot of exciting things are happening. We have launched the Jewel Prize for African American Spirituals and are now accepting new spirituals arrangements from yet unpublished African American composers. There is a $1,000 prize and a premiere in New Orleans in March of 2024. For guidelines and to learn how to donate to this initiative, please visit sacrednine.com jewel. For more information on giving, visit sacrednine.com giving. Here you can see donor tiers. I have designated a Facebook group for you to comment on any podcast episode or even begin any discussion that you think would resonate with us. Facebook.com slash groups slash Sacred Nine Project. That's Sacred Numeral Nine Project. Finally, if you are a university, museum, or other entity who would like a custom project created on a particular what, where, or who, please email. When I was a child in the Southern Baptist Church, there was a pastor, I won't mention his name here, who kind of made bulletins foreboding. I mean, How can the Spirit lead if you've got everything written down there in order? Well, I'm taking a page from his playbook today. I had been editing an episode about the supposed author of Indian Convert that we talked about for our Thanksgiving episode. I have a wonderful audio from an expert on the topic, Drew Lopenzina from Old Dominion University. But you're going to have to wait until our February episode to be edified by him. That's because our January episode will be a visit with hymnology expert Chris Fenner from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary about a particular hymn, Star in the East, that was originally written for Epiphany, hence why I am releasing it for the month of January. But for now, I've delayed my plans for the December episode because, as that pastor might say, the Lord is leading me to do something else. I got the idea from one of my favorite TikTokers at Nonsense Spirituality. I think her name is Brett. She's an ex-Mormon atheist. She was talking about how the poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, gives her hope even though it's a religious piece in nature. She reminded me how much I love the poem and, of course, the hymn that it became. I feel compelled to do this because of all the unrest in the world, in particular in the Middle East, but more on that later. What you may not know is that I have a deep, deep connection to Longfellow. You see, I am from Pascagoula, Mississippi, and on Beach Boulevard, there's a house facing the Gulf of Mexico called Bellevue. Actually, until I was researching for this script, I never knew it had that name. Everyone, and I mean everyone, knows this house as the Longfellow House, built in 1850. Longfellow supposedly stayed there and wrote the poem, The Building of a Ship, there. The grand coincidence is that 88 years later, in 1938, Ingalls Shipbuilding was founded. In any case, people thought Longfellow must have witnessed someone building a ship in Pascagoula Bay, which inspired the poem, but it was all just a legend, according to Mississippi Encyclopedia. By the way, what is it with legends and Pascagoula? We have the legend of the Longfellow House, the corny song by Ray Stevens that mentions the squirrel that caused a spiritual revival in 
the sleepy little town of Pascagoula. And we also have the legend of the singing river, but that's a tale for another day. For this episode, I'm going to be referring to I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day as a poem or a hymn interchangeably. According to hymnary.org, it appears in some 112 hymnals. Just as expected, there are almost always more verses in the original work than make it into hymn books or that survive in modern hymn books. Mostly, we know four verses of this hymn, maybe five if you're lucky. The original, published in 1865 in Our Young Folks magazine, contains seven verses. First, let's talk about the inspiration for the poem. The following account is almost all from the New England Historical Society. Longfellow wrote the poem on Christmas Day, 1863, and it was about hope and resilience. His second wife died in 1861 when she accidentally caught her clothes on fire. He tried to help her, but she died the day after, and Henry was too burned and sick to attend her funeral. The burns disfigured his face, hence the growing of his long beard. He also became very depressed. He was productive during this season of grief and completed a significant translation of Dante's Divine Comedy. Longfellow was also a staunch abolitionist. His son, Charlie, against his father's wishes, enlisted in 1863. He was wounded in the war, but not mortally. He came home and Henry took care of him. He was disillusioned, but not defeated. The bells he heard inspired him to write, quote, Christmas bells, close quote, which we know as, quote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, close quote. The tune most associated with the hymn is by John Baptiste Calkin. Let's consider the text of the poetry, and maybe I can get inspired to write a new setting of some of the words. See what you think. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, good will to men. Okay, so far so good. It's Christmas Day. Now here's verse 2. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Still, la ti da ti da a lovely Christmas. Verse 3. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, this is the verse that is usually included as the fifth and final verse in hymnals, and it's hard for me to conceive it as a central verse. It's so interesting how when something is framed one way in memory, how hard it is to reconceive it. So I guess it's still business as usual. A nice Christmas day. I suppose these first three verses are setting up the arrival of Christmas day, maybe to give the reader a false sense of comfort and security because this is what's next. Verse 4. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Bam! Christmas is over. 
Christmas is canceled. The sounds of war have drowned out the sounds of the bells. Verse 5. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The country is tearing itself apart. As has been discussed in Sacred Nine many times, the Civil War, sparked so significantly by slavery, threatens to sever the country and its people forever. Verse 6, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Hopelessness. The feeling that this is the end of the line. But then there's verse 7. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The speaker has decided to access what religious people always do, faith. Is that a blessing? Is that a curse? Faith is such a strange concept when you come to think of it. Dictionary.com says that faith is the, quote, strong belief in God or in the doctrine of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Close quote. So people of faith believe in God even though he does not speak aloud or appear like he did in the days of old. So this poem is ultimately about faith. As the walls come tumbling down, there is someone in control of it all, and the speaker finds solace that he doesn't have to do anything. God's got it. The events that inspired this change of episode is the unrest in the Middle East. We have seen unspeakable acts perpetrated on human beings, the most painful of which is seeing children being killed. For those of faith, well, at least God's in control. But where is he? This is what gets my blood boiling. There are actual religious people who truly believe that God helps them find good parking spaces at Walmart. If he can do that, he could intervene in the Middle East. But what's going on over there is too painful, too seemingly beyond hope that we retreat into God is in control. A downside to faith is that it makes us more complacent. If God is in control, how much do I have to help my neighbor? We don't need to help the refugees when God's got their back. But this brings me to another theme that I have identified in Sacred Nine. I call it prayer and praise by proxy. Why are non-believers moved by poems like this? I believe it's because they can somehow feel the inspiration of the poem's creation. Even if you don't have faith yourself, you can somehow feel the faith of the creator of the work. One example is Jesse Carlsberg, a leading scholar in the Sacred Harp world and guest for our first trio of episodes. He, coming from a Jewish tradition, is moved by these antebellum Christian hymns in Sacred Harp. If he's moved by this repertoire with the same intensity as believers, and I'm not saying he is, then why? Well, you'd have to ask him. But I think it's my newfound concept of prayer and praise by proxy, and I'm going to keep processing that over the next few months or even years. This Christmas Day, we will be volunteering by feeding unhoused youth. I know that sounds like a pat on the back, 
but this is not my usual jam. Truth be told, I'm a hedonist, but I'm trying to be better about that. Let's all do something for someone else this Christmas. I can't really do anything about the fighting in the Middle East, but I can listen without pretending to be an expert. I can try to humanize every single person involved. I can recognize that it is an accident of birth that I am not there right now, having been born into either the Israeli or the Palestinian people. Now, here is my own musical setting of the poem, but I've rearranged the verses back to the order that is familiar to me, and I use the low-hanging fruit of the go-to sounds of carillon. Ding, dong, ding, dong. I wrote it in 20 minutes. That also is not a brag. It's not hard to write a song in 20 minutes, and because it came out so quickly, it was evident that I was not being too self-scrutinizing with questions such as this. Is it hokey? Is it different enough? Also, because it will live here on the podcast, I'm not trying to dress it up as something that it's not. Some masterpiece for posterity. In fact, even though I write a ton of music, none of it is for posterity, really. It's for this what, where, or who, right now. And in this case, that means you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day Their old familiar carols play And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way. The world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Of peace on earth, goodwill to
And here is my Christmas wish, for people of faith to act like they didn't have any, meaning to believe that their contributions to ending human suffering were really crucial. With sweet manna, hope of ground, 